0: And I treat everything in my business still to this day as an experiment. It's totally possible that things could flop and fail (laughs) and burn down. And that's okay. That's like a part of the learning experience. But one of the pitfalls that I would caution people against is trying to go too far too fast. Because if you're gentle with yourself and you actually have fun, your process speeds along much, much faster than if you try to force it. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer.
1: Welcome to another episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought
2: Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. And I'm the other co-host, Michael Palmer.
1: And boy, do we have an exciting episode lined up for you today. Our guest today is someone whom... None other than the great Oprah Winfrey has called the thought leader for the next generation. She is, of course, the one, the only, the super fantastic Marie Forleo. Hello, Marie. Hello,
0: hello, hello. Thanks for having me on the show, guys.
1: Thank you. It's our pleasure. It's great to have you here. You know, Marie, the name of the show is The Business of Thought Leadership. And our listeners are either aspiring or actual thought leaders. And one of the things they're interested in hearing about from you, in addition to your own wonderful expertise, is how you've got to be where you are in life as a thought leader, how you've become so successful at commercializing it so they can learn to do it themselves. Would you mind sharing your story with the folks for a bit?
0: Yeah, of course. So I'll take it back to Uh, When I was graduating college, I went to Seton Hall University in New Jersey, and I first started out as a psychology major, major because I was so just enthralled with understanding human beings and what makes us tick. Why do some people succeed and other people, despite having all the advantages and the education and the support in the world, seem to fail? And it was a really interesting area of study for me until I realized very quickly that I didn't really agree with a lot of the kind of ideas and the curriculum that was set forth in the psychology department. So very quickly, I switched over majors into business. And when I graduated, I had a degree in finance. Now, one thing about me is I have a lot of energy. It's pretty hard for me, not these days, but especially, you know, just coming out of college to really sit in one place for a very long time. And I just could not imagine myself doing desk work. I couldn't imagine being in a huge company and having a cubicle and just sitting there for, you know, eight to 16 hours a day pushing around papers. So I was lucky. I was able to get a job on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, which was awesome for me because there's, No seats, literally there's no seats. There's these little kind of cardboard, not cardboard, but plastic seats that kind of fold down from some walls if someone has to sit for a minute. But other than that, everyone's standing for, again, eight to 10 hours a day. And I loved that environment. There was excitement. You felt like you were in the center of the financial world. When I was thinking about it from a financial point of view, a lot of the folks that I was working for and people that were kind of running the different firms, Course, we're making millions and millions of dollars. And when you're just starting out, trying to figure out how to support yourself, that's a very attractive proposition. But about six months into that career, I started to notice some patterns in the folks that I was working with. Namely, most of them, while they were financially successful, were spiritually bankrupt all they would do was live their lives for like the two weeks of the year that they had vacation. And, you know, Wall Street hours often end at about four or 5 p.m. And I started to notice a pattern in the behavior. It was like, you know, once the workday was over, wow, everybody, let's go to a strip club and let's do drinks and snort cocaine. And I was like, this is not the life that I want. This is not the kind of people that I want to be around. And I cannot see myself lasting here very much longer. So uh, I remember there was one particular day and i I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but where you're in an environment that you know is not right for you and it feels like you're dying a slow death. There was one day when I was at work and uh, it was particularly hectic. And I just found myself in the middle of all this chaos in the middle of the New York Stock Exchange. And I felt like I was having a mini panic attack. And in those days, you know, you could, take five minutes and go out and get coffee or, or, you know, just take a walk outside of the floor. And that's what I decided to do. And I had my cell phone in my pocket and near wall street, you know, there's a lot of chapels and churches and I was raised Catholic and I went to a Catholic university. So that was still very close to my heart at that point. And I sat on the church steps and I just put my head in my hands and I cried because I felt like such a failure. I'm the first person in my family to go to college I had seen how challenging it was for my family to even afford to put me in college and here I was with a stable job and a stable paycheck and in some ways, you know, quite a prestigious position and all I wanted to do was quit. I felt like such a failure. I remember calling up my parents and just bawling to them saying, "I hope I'm not a disappointment. I don't think I can take it here anymore." But here was the big issue. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I had reached all of my goals. I was the valedictorian of my class. I had gotten this great job. And here I was wanting to quit, having no clue what else to do next. My dad said something really important to me. It was one of those pivotal moments in my life where he said, "Re," because my parents call me Re instead Mm -hmm. of Marie. If you don't find something that you love, you are going to be miserable. It is okay to quit you can quit this job. We trust you. You will figure it out. You're not making us sad. You're not a disappointment. We don't think you're a loser. You need to take your time. You need to figure out what you really want. And it was as though this huge weight was lifted off of my shoulders because I didn't feel like I was, you know, crushing my parents <laughs> or completely disrespecting all the hard work uh, that they experienced to, to get me an education. But it was that point when I really said, you know, I want to do something in this world that is meaningful. I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of drive. I have a lot of potential, but I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do with myself. And so I went on a bit of an odyssey trying to really unpack my strengths and how I could best contribute to this world. And the only two clues that I had was really one that I loved business. My dad was a small business owner. And I got to work with him a lot when I was young. And two, I was always very creative. One of my first jobs that I dreamed of as a little girl was being either an animator for Disney or a fashion designer or just a fine artist. So I had these two very distinct parts of my personality and I figured, well, Wall Street wasn't a way to kind of you know experience both of those. So let me go try and find an industry or an area where I can contribute my strengths that really matches for who I am. And the idea that came to my mind was the world of publishing, specifically magazine publishing, because there's a commerce side, there's a creative side, and I thought perhaps I could find my place. So I worked and I got myself a position with a major publisher, Condé Nast Publications, specifically with a magazine called Gourmet Magazine, which unfortunately is no longer around, but back in the day, they were awesome. Do you guys remember that magazine?
1: I don't. I don't either, to be honest.
0: It's good for foodies. So if you're into food like I am and you like to eat, it's one of those that you might know. Anyway, so it's this food magazine that was quite popular. And I was in the ad sales department working with some of the ad executives and it was great for a while. And I thought, okay, well, maybe this is, you know, this is where I could really make a difference. But as a few months started to pass, And I really understood the inner workings of what that world was like. And I looked ahead to the publisher of the magazine, which was the big boss, right? Of the ad side. And I looked at her life and I looked at what she was doing and I just got honest with myself. I didn't want to become her. I had no aspirations to climb that ladder and that was another one of those moments like, wow, if I'm really not super enjoying what I'm doing, if I don't want to climb the ladder and become the big boss, what the heck am I doing here? So that triggered another kind of moment of introspection. I said, okay, well, maybe I'm still too far on the business side. You know, I was in Wall Street and now I'm, you know, in the ad sales department. Maybe what I really need to is to move the pendulum over and express more of my creativity. So mm-hmm. I thought perhaps moving to the editorial side of publishing would be better. It's all about, pictures and images and crafting stories and narratives. And I thought perhaps that's, you know, would be the right place for me to go. So I got myself a job on the editorial side of a fashion magazine called Madame Misselle. That one I Once
1: know.
0: A- yeah. <laughs> Which unfortunately, again, that one has gone by the wayside as many magazines have gone. But uh, it was really wonderful, you know, getting to work with photo editors and graphic designers and also starting to get introduced to small businesses who were trying to pitch, whether it was their handbags or their new clothing line or a beauty product to the magazine. So there was a lot happening there that did kind of spark my interest. But I will be honest, about six months went by and I started to have that same sinking feeling in my heart that says, this is not where you're supposed to be. Now, around that time, I was on the internet when I probably shouldn't have been at work. And I stumbled upon this new at the time profession. Again, this is the late nineties called life coaching. about 23. I read this article and I could not believe how much this new profession called life coaching sounded like the perfect Thing for me. But the logical part of my mind stepped in immediately and was like, Are you crazy? You're 23 years old. Who the heck in their right mind is going to hire a 23 year old life coach? This is nuts. Is this some weird scam? You know, this sounds really cheesy. Like all of the kind of critical thoughts were just pouring into my brain. But I couldn't deny that on a feeling level, on a soul level, I had never been brighter or more excited about any prospective career in my life. So on the spot, I signed up for a three-year coach training program. It was all done virtually. So I would take my classes at night, all teleclasses and everything was online. And then during the day, I would still work at my magazine job. Fast forward about six months, I get a call from the HR department and they were offering me a promotion to work at Vogue magazine, which you guys know top Absolutely. fashion magazine yeah. in the world. Yeah. Yep. So it was a very exciting offer. And that was really my fork in the road. It was okay. Keep the steady paycheck, you know, work at this incredibly prestigious, exciting icon or quit and start your own life coaching business, which sounded insane and crazy. And of course that's what I did. So I quit my job And I went back to something that I did in college, which helped pay for it, which was bartending and waiting tables and really just kind of worked a million side jobs in the evenings and on weekends and started figuring out how to become a life coach and build my own profitable coaching practice during the day. And so I won't go further without letting you guys interject, but that's how the whole thing started. And it's evolved and grown for the past 17 years from there.
1: That is a spellbinding story. I love it. So here's, here's my follow up question to that. How did you take that auspicious beginning and turn it into a commercially viable way to make the difference you were born to make? Cause I'm clear that that's what you do, Marie.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, you know, it comes down to a few basics. It comes down to really understanding, okay, you know, if I want to run this small business as a life coach, which is exactly how it all started out, then I need to learn how to run a successful business, which meant understanding marketing, understanding how to create outstanding client experiences, understanding, especially you know, in that time, again, this is now like 2000, 2001. This is when email marketing and email newsletters were novel. This is when writing something called an ebook was virtually unheard of. That was like brand new on the scene. And luckily the foundational training that I got through my life coaching training, introduced me to all of those different areas that they implored me to master if I wanted to be a successful coach. And so in doing that and in being committed to run a successful business, I trained myself to learn how to create content and communicate with uh, people at scale and trained myself to become a marketer and become someone who really stands behind ethical, honest, transparent marketing. You know, one of the things that I discovered along the way, especially as I was in those beginning stages of building my business, that there were really two different types of business owners, (laughs) the business owners in the world who kind of embody what I'd call perhaps the old guard, you know, they're the types of folks who you might imagine if you think about the old barons, you know, back at perhaps the turn of the century, chewing on a cigar and, you know, kind of uh, throwing money around and and stepping on all of the little people and making a profit at all costs. And then I realized there was another way. There was a way to be a completely ethical, big hearted business person who really expressed their gifts and cared about the customer on every level, cared about making them feel a sense of trust, and cared about not only, you know, making a profit, but also making a difference. And so it became really my mission to take a stand to not only be that kind of business owner, but to invite other people to really jump into this world and to learn how to do modern marketing in such a way that it is aligned with your values and your soul.
2: That's great. I really like your story as well, and I want to clarify something that I heard, which was: Did you say late '90s is when you started your coaching program?
0: Yeah, late well, '90s. Well, my coaching, my coaching, like training, your training, you know? yes, yeah, that yep, online absolutely.
2: training, yeah. So that's you were the, you're the pioneer, essentially from from when things were, you know, back in those those days. That was really really early. Um, yes. So I love that you know the the message here, right? If we if someone were to go to your website today. They're going to see, I think, one of the best examples of a brand that you've built, you know, as a life coach, from a life coach to what you have today. Incredible brand. You have uh, followers all over the world. You've worked with people like Richard Branson, Oprah Winfrey, Tony Robbins. And I'd really like to hear about how that progressed. And I love that story of the creativity. It really connected the dots for me when you said you wanted to be an illustrator for Disney. I got, yeah, because when I saw your first show back in, I think, 2014, I thought, holy macaroni, the production level (laughs) on this thing's like Hollywood. I thought that's the investment that you would have had to make on that was incredible. And so, you know, you really had to have believed in yourself and what you were doing and saw the results to really double down, triple down, quadruple down on, on investing in your brand.
0: Oh yeah. But I will implore you and everyone else to go take a look at my earlier videos, like from 2009, when it was just me looking into my webcam with no lighting and no editing. And I have purposely intentionally left those up. Because so many people will see the more recent things like from 2014 or even 2013 or 2012 and be like, wow, she's got it stuff together. And it's like, yeah, we grew into that over <laughs> a long period of time. And one of the bits that I left out, again, because I kind of stopped so we could have a dialogue and this wasn't just a monologue of me, you know, chomping your all's ear off constantly, was when I really began to feel like I was getting some traction as a life coach. One of my other challenges was. I didn't fit into a traditional box, meaning so many of the success books and advice at that time was about choosing a niche and being known for one thing. And I tried to follow that advice, but every time I did, I felt like I was cutting off a limb. So for example, I was one of those little kids who, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, it wasn't just an animator or an illustrator. There was like seven or eight other things I wanted to do. And when I was about 25, I realized, you know, I don't have to just be a life coach and I'm not just a life coach. I was very passionate about marketing and spirituality and fitness and hip hop. So one of the bits that I lived out was Um, in the middle of my kind of beginning years, I had an additional career as a hip hop instructor and a fitness personality. So I worked with Nike and I worked with a lot of different production companies and was very, very comfortable in front of the camera through practice. But it wasn't through practice necessarily teaching as a life coach. It was through practice of teaching people through dance and fitness. So, I know that many people, perhaps even some of your listeners, one of the things they may struggle with is how to categorize themselves or what to call themselves or how to be like known for just one thing. And I've always called myself a multi-passionate entrepreneur. So, so much of what you see that comes alive in those videos is a result of the congruence of all the different experience that came before it.
2: Well, what really stands out for me is that you've taken a lifetime of the different experiences, and you've used all of those now in in your business. And that, I think, is, is remarkable. The creativity, the dancing, the performance, the production, the business uh, experience, all of those have come together. And uh, I, th- I love that message uh, is that a lot of listeners will be thinking, well, how do I get from where I am to your level? It's going to yeah. require doing a lot of different things and figuring it out along the way those, whether they're successes or failures, are still important, and they might not reveal themselves right away.
0: And they won't reveal themselves right away. One of the challenges for folks like us who tend to be ambitious and driven and focused and want to get places is we want it all now, right? We want it yesterday. And you might look at folks that you admire, whether they're authors or they're speakers or trainers or coaches or whatever they do. And I know because I've experienced this myself, you're like, gosh, how did they get there? How can I get there faster? And one of the most counterintuitive pieces of advice that I would offer is to not pressure yourself to find the convergence too fast. Some of my most valuable lessons have come because I didn't try and jump levels. So, for example, being willing to just sit in front of my webcam, like just, you know, looking at the camera and talking to it and like didn't have the budget to have a team, didn't have any kind of budget to have lighting or editors. And I just said, you know what? It's about the content and the connection. That's what matters most. So I can just talk into my camera. And if I like this, and if it seems as though it's a viable way for me to communicate with my audience, well, then we'll keep going. And I treat everything in my business still to this day as an experiment. It's totally possible that things could flop and fail (laughs) and burn down, and that's okay. That's like a part of the learning experience. But one of the pitfalls that I would caution people against is trying to go too far too fast. Because if you're gentle with yourself and you actually have fun, your process speeds along much, much faster than if you try to force it.
1: Marie, there's been a few things you've said which I think are worth highlighting. First of all, you said that you don't like putting yourself in a box as just a life coach because you have done and continue to do way more than that. And I think that's really, really important. Michael and I often tell people, you're not just a coach, you're not just selling coaching. What you're actually doing is you're offering people ways to make their lives better. And you may deliver that through coaching, you may deliver that through delivering a speech, You might deliver that by writing a book or putting together an online program. And it's way better for you to be known as a thought leader, which is what Oprah has called you, and which is the name of this particular podcast, than to just say you're a coach. And I I think you've done that brilliantly in what you just shared with the folks
0: Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I also believe too, this idea of just being known for one particular thing, you know, one function, it's just a throwback from the industrial age. Most people have multiple talents and multiple gifts, and we've never really quite had an age until recently where people can express all of them. And, you know, if you look in terms of careers, most of us have done several different things and will continue to evolve as time goes on. But I know for me, it was one of the biggest Hang ups in the beginning because people are taught you have to have that 30 second elevator pitch and you have to have it down hmm. I will tell you both I have failed miserably with that I have never had the tight elevator pitch of this is who I am and it hasn't stopped me yet
1: that's brilliant you know the other thing that you spoke of which I think is really worth highlighting is you talked about being somebody who has a business to be sure, but your business is about making a difference for people. And you're all about leaving people better than you found them and not being like the old robber barons of old. I think that's the phrase that you used before that would do whatever they had to do, including step on people to get ahead. Yes. And and we say to people, you're here to make the difference you were born to make. And every one of us, I believe, is born to make a difference. And, And your job is to find out what that difference is for you and then go out there and do what Steve Jobs called make that dent in the universe. And Marie Forleo, you're doing that, girl. Way to kick ass and take names.
0: (laughs) Well, we have a lot of fun and I I certainly don't do it alone. Um, At this point, I have gathered uh, a team of incredible individuals who all of us share the same values and the same mission and vision to use our time on this planet um, to have a great time and to make a difference to others. And I think that, you know, there's something I say on our show, which is the world needs that very special gift that only you have, and I strongly believe in the theory that every single human is coded with genius, and all you can do each and every day is look to share that genius with the world, and it doesn't have to be in epic ways. It doesn't have to come through, you know, a New York Times bestselling book or you know, a hit five million dollar. Um, 500 million downloads per episode podcast or any of the kind of metrics that many people can get caught up on. It can come in your interaction with someone behind the counter at the bank. It can be, you know, smiling at the delivery person that might show up at your house, you know, whether it's over the holidays or the FedEx person who's just gotten barked at by a dog. And I think that each of us just have such an ability to use our energy and our life to touch other people in a positive way and when you get to do that day in and day out, you know that's when the magic starts to happen.
2: Absolutely. You know, I want to jump back to those early days. I think the listeners would love to hear more of the early days and some of your challenges and what where specifically is you know you, you you obviously come across and everything you 've told us you you work hard and you you go at it, you do something, you figure it out, and you keep going, and you took jobs and you, you, you're super committed to making it happen and then there 's going to be the time which i 'd like to hear about where you had that lucky break that everybody goes oh well just marie 's lucky look at look at lucky Marie over there, the working hard, lucky break, what was that for you, and when did you how did you know to take it?
0: Okay. So I don't mean to disappoint you, but I don't think that there was one lucky break because there was a lot of things that happened along the way that were just these tiny, small wins that seemed insignificant at the time. Yet cumulatively, they create what I call like unstoppable momentum. And I'll give you a few examples. So the first one, the very first workshop that I ever did Meaning, like, as a coach, as someone who wanted to help other people create tangible results in their lives. I have five people in that workshop, two were my parents. One was my yoga teacher who really believed in me. And then she dragged like two neighbors of hers from across the street in New Jersey. And it was in her like kind of little bit of a danky basement. And I had a flip chart and I had five little workbooks that I had printed out from my computer using like Microsoft Word or something like that. And it sounds, you know, it was horrible. It was as horrible as it sounds. I did my very best. But doing that and making myself actually take the action and be embarrassed and just deliver as much value as I possibly could really set me up for the next thing and the next thing, like the Toastmasters talk and then being brave enough to ask someone if they wanted to be my client. And I feel like throughout the past 17 years, then if you're quote-unquote lucky, meaning you've put in the work, sometimes opportunities come along. Like, for example, Tony Robbins' team reached out to me, I think it was in maybe 2009, and he was working on a new program called the New Money Masters. And he was doing some interviews with folks who at that time were having some pretty great success with online marketing and creating new "quote unquote" lifestyle businesses, and so I almost lost my shit. I mean, I, sorry, I'm, I don't. <laughs> I to, love, it's okay, it Nikki. Nikki like,
2: blew the the, the uh, iTunes uh, clean language already, so we're, we're going to go with. <laughs>
0: can, I was going to say you can beat me out and edit it out because that uh, happens sometimes on our uh, show too. Yeah. Anyway. I was so excited because Tony was one of those people, you know, I grew up just loving Tony and going to his seminars and he's just someone who I adore. So just even hearing from his team, I, you know, almost fell off my chair and then they said, Oh, well, you know, would you want to come out and uh, do this interview with him? And I'm like, of course I would. But if I hadn't taken all those little brave steps all the years before and, you know, been embarrassed and done some silly things, I wouldn't have had the courage or the confidence to just say yes, even though I didn't feel ready. Like when Tony's team called, I felt horribly unprepared. I'm like, can't you do this in like a year or two? I'm totally not ready to go be interviewed by Tony Robbins. I didn't feel like I had enough value to share or was mature enough yet or could make a big enough difference, but I didn't let that stop me. I got on a plane, (laughs) I got out there and I did my best. So I don't believe in quote unquote, breakthrough lucky moments, because I just don't think that's ever how it happens. I think that's somewhat of a myth that all of us think about. Um, And I've interviewed enough really successful folks at this point, and I know enough of them personally to be able to see the underbelly of their lives. And man, they are just doing the hard work day in and day out. And they have some pretty devastating disappointments, but most of us only see the highlight reels. (laughs) So that's, that's, of course, you know, what we just go like, oh, they must be just walking under a lucky star. But when you start to peel back the layers, you can see, no, they just work really, really hard. They're extremely persistent. And eventually things start to start to pop for them. But it's usually after about a decade or so of really hard work toiling away unknown.
2: Well, you didn't actually disappoint me. It was exactly what I was wanting to hear, which was oh. your story of working hard and I think that's the message I was, you know, didn't really get it across probably as good as I would have liked to, but that's the point is your you worked extremely hard for a very long time having all these little tiny wins and being in the basement and still moving forward to be prepared to even have that call with Tony. That's that—that's what people see, though. They see the Tony rob Oh, she's on Tony Robbins, so that's why she's successful. No, it was the 10 years that it took you to get there to even be able to have that call with Tony. And we're big fans of Tony Robbins over here. So thank you for sharing that. It's inspirational for people when they're in that workshop and, you know, it's a family sitting across and one other person that came for free. That's yeah. just the beginning. Keep going, keep going. It, it will work out. And so all of our listeners, I think, are somewhere between there and where you are. And so it's inspirational. And that's a big part of what we want for the show is to let the people that who are committed to making a difference actually continue and keep going.
0: It takes time to build up a body of work and it takes time to hone your voice. You know, that doesn't happen overnight. I'll look back at emails that I wrote in those days and I cringe. I'm like, oh my goodness, did I re- did, did <laughs> I write that? Oh gosh, it's embarrassing, but it's awesome. You know, one of the things that I live my life by is this idea that we always go for progress, not perfection. In any program I teach, and we do this with our B Scholars, I'm always like, do not get hung up on making it perfect. We go for progress, not perfection. It's about shipping it out, getting feedback, learning, and then continuing to evolve. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm absolutely positive that. In three to five years from now, I'm going to look back at stuff I'm doing today and cringe. And that's fine. That's part of the journey.
1: Well said. Well said. You know what? That's a message I think a lot of people need to hear. Perhaps even Michael and myself. Don't get hung up on making it perfect. Get hung up on getting it out. Big time. Big
2: (laughs) time. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Marie, this has been an absolutely rock star level interview, and we like to wrap up each episode by asking our guest to give us three expert action steps that they would like our listener to take to take their success and their life to the next level. What are yours?
0: Okay. I will say first and foremost, this is really relevant for now. And I think this will continue as technology continues to infiltrate basically every aspect of our lives. Less is more. So rather than trying to be on every single social media platform or trying to launch, you know, 10 different books or five different products or have these really complex sales funnels and blah, 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 blah. Less is more. As your focus splinters in many different areas, you're going to slow down your progress and slow down your results. So less is more is number one. It's very actionable. You can use that for your goals. You can use that for your business initiatives. You can use that for social media, you know, take it and run with it. Another actionable idea. This is more of a mantra that will save you your sanity. Clarity comes from engagement, not thought there's only so far that your mind can take you. And when you find yourself at a crossroads and you're trying to make an important decision, if intuitively you don't have a yes or no answer, if you're looking at pro-con lists and you know what, it could go one way or it can go the other way, remember this phrase clarity comes from engagement not thought get out there and try it do it treat it like an experiment if it fails and flops you learn something but don't spend too long toiling in your mind as quickly as you can get an action do it and i would say the final actionable step and again this is a little bit more of a mantra but i believe the energy of this idea will permeate everything you create from this moment forward is make it about what you can give not what you can get. Hmm. So when you're sitting to write that email, really think of one person who might open it up and let the energy when you're actually writing those words, typing that copy, make it all about what you can give to that other human being versus what you can get back, whether it's getting back a comment or getting back a sale or getting back a review or anything that you might be asking for. Really, check yourself before you wreck yourself. And as you're in the process of creating, make it about what you can give, not what you can get.
1: Those were absolutely brilliant. I love them. Thank you. My God. Taking notes on those myself. So Marie, what's one thing or a couple of things that you're up to that you'd like to promote to the folks?
0: Well, I would say first and foremost, we have close to 300 episodes of Marie MarieTV. Um, you can take it all the way back, back in the old, the vintage episodes are really good. And of course, our most recent episodes are getting better and better. Um, you can find all of that at marieforleo.com. And then I would say the second thing is our program that's called B-School, Online Business School for Modern Entrepreneurs. It's especially good if you are a thought leader, an aspiring thought leader, and the whole world of marketing and online marketing, it's still not a place where you feel super comfortable yet. And you like to have training that allows you to be as powerful of a business person as you can possibly be and do so with your full heart, with your values, with your integrity and really build a business that's designed to make a difference. That program has been around since 2010. We have over 30,000 graduates from 160 industries across 119 countries. So the diversity the community and the power of that program, you know, most of us, we can learn anything that we want to about blog posts and, you know, webinars and all that stuff is for free online. But I think the power in B-School really lies in the fact that it's a transformative experience. And we've seen that now over the years, who people come out as on the other end of that program, is just mind blowing. So if you're interested in that, we have free training that comes along a few times a year and you can go to joinbschool.com and you can learn all about the program and, and everything you could want to know.
1: Well, that's fantastic. Well, you know what, Marie, this has been an absolutely incredible interview. Uh, Michael and I were both so grateful that you took the time out of your schedule to be with us and our listener today. We'd love to have you back anytime. And now that I know more about this program, we should probably chat with you about doing some cool stuff around promoting it in the future. Thank you again for taking the time to be with us and uh, Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas. And thank you guys for having me on. It was an honor.
2: Thanks a lot, Marie. That wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership podcast you can find all the show notes from this episode, as well as information about Marie Forleo at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. As well, come join us on Facebook at the Business of Thought Leadership private group. Just request to join. Come hang out with thought leaders like yourself, improve your business, and make the difference you were born to make. Until next time, goodbye.
0: You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.